Hey everyone, Patrick here. I am so excited our series, The APAM Conversations, was named a finalist for the second annual Signal Awards. To celebrate this, and as part of our campaign to try and win this thing, over the next 10 days, I am re-airing the series in its entirety. I hope you enjoy revisiting these incredible conversations I have with these amazing guests, and if it's your first time listening, welcome. I hope you enjoy them as well. After you listen, please cast your vote. You can find the link to do so in the show notes on IG at Conversation Pod Piece or by going to our website, conversationpeacepod.com. Without further ado, here are the APAM Conversations. Hey everyone, welcome to Conversation Peace with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is a show where my guests and I discuss what piece of the conversation we aren't talking about, but should be. Special shout out to all of my returning listeners, and a high five and hello to everyone joining us for the very first time. Thank you very much. The month of May is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, or APAM, and is meant to celebrate and reflect on the history and peoples that make up our beautiful diaspora. As part of that reflection, this month, I'll be sharing nine conversations with my friends and folks I greatly admire in the community as we discuss those missing pieces of the Asian American conversation, what we know, what we might not know, and what we can do about it. These are the APAM Conversations. My guest today is a Filipino-American, anti-bias, anti-racist educator, ethnic studies researcher, motivational speaker, and cross-racial coalition builder. He is currently a PhD student in the Education Leadership and Policy Analysis Program at UW-Madison, focusing on ethnic studies policies and how they translate into practices. I am honored to welcome Tony De La Rosa to the show. Hey, Tony. Hey, what's good? I'm happy to be here. Man, it is. It feels like I've known you for forever, even though we've only met in person like one time. But before we hop into the conversation, I introduced you a little bit, but do you mind telling uh, any listeners who may not know a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, um, I'm a father to a almost two-year-old, Sebastian Rizal de la Rosa. He's half Filipino and half Cuban, or let me go backwards, 100% Filipino, 100% Cuban. Uh, let me correct myself with that. Oh my Lord, see, this is what happens when I introduce myself with family. Um, and then um, husband to my, my, my wonderful best friend and partner, Stephanie Jimenez, we met while teaching. And then um, son to um, uh, my father, who's Pampangan, and my mother is from Cavite of the Philippines. I try to go back to their regions as much as I can. Um, and last, I would say, um, my big project right now is like being author of teaching the invisible race, embodying a pro Asian American lens in schools. Um, that's it essentially like, where can we bring Asian American ways of being practices, mindsets, policies, programs in the school, um, wherever school is defined. I love that. And I want to say this is the first time I've ever interviewed someone where they've introduced themselves with their family. And I absolutely love that. I think that's incredible. And I think I would I would love to hear more of that. So yes. thank you for doing that. Thank you for modeling that. Yes. Um, so let's just dive right into it. The series is called The APAM Conversations. We're talking about that conversation around Asian America. For you, what parts or pieces of that conversation about our community do you think we should be talking about more right now but aren't? Oh, then dang, like back to what you just said, I feel like um, I just started hearing from, there's a lot of things, but just a little <laughs> moment about family. Like I would love to hear about people's families coming into how they're shaped and 
how they're socialized and who they are, right? Coming into the conversations. Um, I know you from you, right? I don't mm. know your um, adoptee experience. I don't know how that has shaped you other than what I've read, right? Or seen on forums or on like social media um, or just friends um, I'm doing work with. It's like all considered with the purview of work. So if I could hear a little bit more and talk and listen on stories from people's families um, outside of work, that would have been so nice. That's like part one. Part two is I know for a fact that we're not talking enough about, um, although this is considered a tide in ethnic studies, Asian American education policy that is moving um, rapidly right now across the nation, which is so cool to see. Um, I'm hype. Like this is like my <laughs> research topic, obviously. But um, it's just different per different region based on the policies. If Just to give you some background, education um, ed policy, like really just start in K-12, started recently in 2022, I believe, with the TEACH Act in Illinois mandating Asian American um, studies, history, essentially community, equitable uh, community history to be taught in all schools, right? Really cool to see that like take stage, especially amidst, you know, Stop Asian hate movement, right? We need this. The community was uh, demanding education and this is happening. So this is cool, a direct uh, solution um, that's being devised and um, through, you know, legislation. And that's just taking off in New Jersey with the Make Us Visible Coalition in Connecticut, the Florida, um, New York, here in Wisconsin, we're having our own bill that's proposed. So there's so much happening right now. It's still emergent, but the emergent stages are fun. So I'm doing field studies around that. Um, and that's like generally the, the big topic that um, like I can speak to now, like where are people at, where their minds are at, where kind of the tensions are with this movement. Because I kind of study the life cycle. How mm. does the coalition form? What do they talk about in forming? How do they like advocate for the policy? Where does the policy go? How does it fail? How does it go back and then fall in the hands of educators? And then how does it impact students? So to me, that's a whole dissertation. That's a whole yeah. book, right? Yeah. And that's going to take many years to study. So I'm still at the beginning stages of it. Um, and I think within this podcast, this like short time, I think that will take, honestly, um, a big chunk of it um, for today. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for sharing that one. And I think, you know, my follow-up questions are usually how do we deal with these things within the community? How do we deal with these things for, or how do people outside of the community deal with these things? And I think these both touch on each of those things. So I want to go back to what you brought up that first point about families and their actual stories. Like how do we get these oral narratives and how do we get more of them? Um, what have you seen from just your time in the education space as that piece of it. Um, I'm thinking of like, from an adoptee perspective, Kim Park Nelson, she wrote a book called Invisible Asians, where it's collected a, just a ton of oral narrative. Um, how have you seen that change for our community over the time that you've been in the education space? It's still, sadly, pretty emergent in my mind. Um, I mean, it's not like, hmm, this is a really big question, first of all. So I'm like trying to answer it in a way that's accessible and makes sense. Um, hmm. From my standpoint, I just started adopting it more because it felt more humane to do. Mm. It felt more grounded in where I am at as I'm a 33-year-old father now. I, I, you know, I My salient identity has, like, that's such a humanities word. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> my salient identity has shifted so much. Like, I used to identify by my rate, my my ethnicity and my race 
you know, Filip- hella Filipino American, hella Asian American, brown Asian, you know, activist by the things that I did. But recently as a father, I've kind of just, it's just for one, it's, I intentionally done it and it has forced me at the same time to identify as just father right now. And then like mm. when I identify that way, I know that it's connected and it tells me I'm connected to a whole lineage of everything. And I'm all, and which makes me think about just, just constellations. It makes me think about leadership, how leadership, and it takes me even to like, this is not linear now. This is all conceptual, <laughs> just sharp sure. off. My brain is everywhere. Like my brain is also going towards this idea of like individual versus collectivism. Collectivism is more of an Asian diasporic idea and core value. In the Philippines, we have kapwa, um, which is like interconnectedness, right? That's something I'm relearning now at this stage um, as I'm 33. And it's still pretty emergent, I would say, when it comes to education. Um, When it comes to Asian American, I think what I hear mostly is like a lot of people who are doing um, anti-bias, anti-racist work, um, organizing, have been doing that more and saying that. And then it's now hopefully translating, like, I guess it's up to me and others who are educators who are at the intersection of schools as orgs to like start translating it into the school building, right? Into the mm. work, it, where, where learning is happening essentially. And how does that work from that perspective for someone like me, who's not in that space, you know, how do you take what you have here and build it into these curriculums, these schools, these educational pieces? Yeah. I, I mean, like, I think that's perfect that um, you brought up that oral narratives piece. My book is a lot of oral narratives. Honestly, um, I interviewed um, for every chapter, so many people um, and, you know, a chapter on disability, a chapter on cross-racial coalition building. Um, when I was learning is that I really wanted to know who those people are and who are their ancestors. So I just started asking like, who's an ancestor that is, you know, maybe it's not a living ancestor. Maybe it's someone who's just influenced them because mm. I'm just, I am drawn to people who think of their identity as temporal it's like, okay, I'm a part of this movement, not a moment, mm. a movement. And part of my book's thesis is this book is a part of a movement, one little moment in this movement. Um, and I, you know, I, I had read a poem. I put a poem in there talking about that, like, we need to be a part and teach the movement um, and all of its parts. Um, and I, I know even if we teach within that framework, this idea of teaching a movement of like, Oh, you know, when is Asian American? When was the first term coined? Why was it coined? Mm. You know, like all the way up to now, um, it's a difficult and daunting task. Also, um, a critical and hopeful and like powerful task to do. Yeah, and it's um, I think that's the task, right? It's like making sure that homage is given, and when you think about our identities as temporal, part of something that came before and that we're passing down. I think it opens the door for more people to consider who they're connected to, how they were socialized into being. I, 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 a framework that I use that's helpful in the book is like um, Dr. Bobby Harrell's um, cycle of socialization. This idea of socialization and it, it codifies every piece of how knowledge, like how our basically way of being, ontologies, mm-hmm. way of knowing, um, epistemology is a way of seeing the world and manifesting who we are come to be right and the first interactions are family right and it, it names that it's cool we start off have like innocent and we have families giving our socialization then it goes into institutions 
right? And then it goes into other um, systems, right? And then there's like punishments that get involved that reinforce institutional knowledge, sure. and then et cetera, et cetera. And then there's like this level, there's like a pathway to liberation, which I think is the next version of that framework. So I think having that framework in that book, talking about it explicitly, uh, talking about it accessibly is helpful in translating how I just talked about family <laughs> yeah. and bringing it to schools and classrooms. No, I love it because I think a lot of educators that I talk to talk about, you know, when we have these kinds of conversations, it's one thing to come with the, the facts and the data. It's another thing to come with the actionable items, like how do we utilize and, and use this information and move forward where we can all do it together. And I love this idea of our, identi- our identities being temporal or temporal in nature. I had never thought about it that way. That's that's very interesting. It's something that I'm I'm working in my brain right now and trying to process. That's uh, I'm processing that. I'm, I'm processing that now because I didn't mean to say that, but I, <laughs> amazing. In I this mean, conversation, it, so, it happened. But it makes so much sense because, like you said, we're all when we realize or become aware of how interconnected everything is, and especially within our own communities and our own families, you know, we can really start to see where we can move to and move forward. I've been using this analogy of like, we constantly are moving one step forward, two steps back, and it feels like we don't make progress. And we want to move two steps forward and one step back. We're at least taking that first, that next step. And I think thinking about, you know, the intergenerational connections, the way that we transcend time, the way our communities transcend time um, from the things that happen at each point uh, is really important. Where does this passion come from for, this type of education, specifically this type of community work? Is it from, was it passed down through your family or is it something that you just came upon during your own journey? Um, I wish I could say it was from my family. I, unfortunately, I feel like I'm digging back now. I'm doing re-interviews of my family. Okay. I haven't really like, I, I, my, my wife jokes with me because like, even to the point of like me asking like, how old is my parents? Where are they? <laughs> what is their birthday? What did they immigrate? And I'm like, we should know this knowledge, but I don't know this knowledge. Why don't I know this knowledge? Right. And I have to critically examine, like, obviously it's part me. I'm an adult. I have agency to ask them and know this stuff. And then also I question like, why wasn't it important to me? And why wasn't it important to them to tell me these things explicitly pass mm. it down? Cause I don't think um, in my personal, in my family, personally, we talked about the past a lot. We talked about lineage a lot. I think up until now, I think like lineage really got important for me, like probably around 2020 um, explicitly when I was like working with Teach for America. Um, you know, I did Teach for America in Indianapolis, but like I started moving around the country. Um, and then my friend, I had the opportunity to launch and lead a summit called the AANHPI Asian American Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Core Member Summit um, in 2020 with Suprita, Patnissi, um, queer, um, Viet Lao, Amer- amazing um, artist and educator. And we led the summit on, and the theme was ancestors to descendants, mm. flat out. And I was like, wow, what if we just like focused? That's what happens when we focus on one thing and make it an actionable, right? So that was a theme right. and everyone had to incorporate that in their um their workshops, their talks, you know, Liz Kleinrock was there for some event. Liz Kleinrock, which okay. is another friend, mutual friend of ours. Um, um, Dr. Roseanne uh, Gutierrez, right. Who I'm working with now um, out of UCLA. So she's it, it, a lot of 
having just that theme to think about was just resonated with the Asian American community. And um, ever since 2020, I really just like, it just keeps spiraling back. And I think again, that temporal piece, I love knowing that um, that part of me was that memory is still so summonable, if mm, you will. Like sure. it's, it's still part of the body. And I think that's a powerful part of somatic is that like you did it. Now it's with you, but it's up to us to un- like, how do we tap into it with our new lens uh, and reiterate it? I think that's powerful. I think that's real power. Just hearing you explain it was very powerful because now I'm thinking about my life and like certain moments that I'm calling back on, especially on over the last three years on this journey. Like it's just been how I can recall like almost minute details of that. But re- it's like it just shows how foundational those moments were or that moment was was at the time to leave that kind of mark. Yeah, absolutely powerful. Um, let's move to you brought up the Teach Act. And so we talked about families and how we can, as Asian Americans, work to address this part of the conversation we're not talking about by, you know, thinking about our families, thinking a little bit more temporally about our own identities and our communities, like collective identity. The TEACH Act is something that people can do outside of our community to help foster or facilitate conversation around our community. What other things can folks outside of our community do to help address this you know, missing piece of the conversation around Asian America specifically? Oh, I mean, like schools, like I, I, I for example, I'm going to contextualize this in what I'm doing now. I'm doing a fields method study of understanding the impact of ethnic studies and where they're at, like all across, like from New York, I'm interviewing New York, Illinois, um, interviewing people from Wisconsin, right? And people are at so many different stages. So one, we can make a blanket statement of where everyone is and sure. like where they should be, right? It's going, I guess one thing is definitely going to the community. Um, two, it, I think uh, I, we don't have to wait for the policy, like you said. I mean, like we, we could just get these stories told now. Like teachers, I mean, like I've t- I talked to a district here in Wisconsin and the district leader was like, ah, oh, Tony, come back to us. Like you two years from now, cause we're still establishing a foundational teaching and learning curriculum. Mm. We're trying to, we're doing alignment, you know, and I get that. I get that. And you want to like take that best step first, but don't let that get in the way of what can actually be true now and what right. needs to be true now, because kids, one, you have AAPI students at your school, NHPI students who are identifying at your school. So we need this now for like culturally relevant, sustaining pedagogy. So bring us in. You know, like I'm, I'm right. telling you, I'm offering you a service. Um, and a lot of it, um, design-based since I'm a researcher, a lot of it's for free at this point because I just want to try out and test pilot things. So there are people who are willing to do that. Not everyone, you know, but there's a lot of consultants out there. I'm not, obviously I'm not the only one. There's so many consultants, educators, educators within your building who are willing to start doing um, and piloting and testing and putting um, Asian American education woven into your classroom um, or as a separate class. That's another more infrastructural option. Sure. It will take a lot more time and space. I've, that's what I've seen most schools do, either offer in a separate class or offer the curriculum that's woven into everything else. And mm. Like the latter one with curriculum woven into everything else, teachers can come to us. Like, have your district come to us. We'll lead a training with y'all. Maybe hire us as um, 
Asian American activists in residence, you know, like, mm, sure. And, and attach us to your school, like have us stay there for a while just for it to, you know, like as you're building your framework, cool. We can work with your teachers. Awesome. Midway through just as to mitigate. And I actually provide the service now. Right. So we're not mm. waiting um, for the, like, you know, the idea of like, we want, we don't want to let perfect get in the way of like goodness and greatness and things that just need to happen, you know? Right. I think it, it sounds like this idea of being proactive versus reactive, essentially. Like it's on, on the side of the infrastructure, on the side of the institution to come out and be like, seek you out, seek people who do the work that you do in order to make sure that we're not just building something for the future, but like you said, taking advantage of what we have now. Um, and a lot of times it feels like these things are reactive. Like we wait for a tragedy to happen and then it's like, oh, well, now we need to pass legislation. Now we need to change curriculum, whatever it might be. And it's like, well, no, it's a little bit too late for that. But now, but now it's now. Like, let's take advantage now. Um, you talked about how you're doing this now. You're doing the you're doing their outreach, which is another problem in itself. Like be proactive institution and reach out to Tony. He should not be reaching <laughs> exactly. out to you. Um, you talked about how for the most part, you get pretty good reception, but you also run into people who are maybe resistant, who don't always want to to do that work. What would you say to somebody who is doing what you do and is, but maybe not at the level that you're at right now, but is wanting to to affect change in that same way? Who runs into some of the pushback? Because I feel like the people that you work with probably don't always at first come out of the gate and say, yes, we want to do this. They give you a little pushback and it's like, well, you know, we can help you or I can help you in this way or that way. What would you say to somebody who's trying to do that from that, not the same perspective, but a similar? So just basically other me's out there, right? Trying to get the work in, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I haven't even thought about leading a team. You know, I, I honestly, like, I was like, at this point, you know, at one point as a design-based learning, we should have a team and, you know, I can help coach them through the process, right? That, which mm. is an idea I have in the future. Um, because they need it. But if you're doing this on your own and you want to, and there's a lot of people I can list that can do this work, um, just by lived experience, right? Better than nothing, right? Mm. Um, honestly, I do want to say, I want to have, you know, it, it is, the, I want to acknowledge the political climate, you know, <laughs> sure. Every, it's, I'm in Wisconsin, so you know, either or, right? Like it, it really blue in the middle, but everywhere else, right? Wow, it's it's difficult, and we still and all those regions need it. So like, there's Asian Americans there, and there's non Asian American, and when there's non Asian Americans, they all need it even more because mm -hmm. you're not going to get access to those narratives, so you need it. So really, there's a lot of multiple ways to get to the same outcome. You need to you need to have consent with the organization you're trying to work with, and that's like I'm trying to learn and unlearn too because I would go before my own activist side would come up, and I think. I'm conflating my activist side with my ego of like, oh, I know what you need, you know? Mm, sure, sure, but sure. But coming in that direction is never – like you can you can use that direction with anyone and anyone's going to feel like, what? He thinks he knows what I need? Like right. what? Like even if it's an organization that is pro these policies, I come in still with like I have my questions of like how can I best support you right now? I do have a list of things – and I think would be helpful as a foundational, you know, uh, place to start. And then, so like the consent aspect, understanding what they need, because that foundational piece helped me when I talked to that director of curriculum, 
basically, I now know that they can still have this. So my part two is I'm going to reach back out. I'm not going to give up. So my person, my my other feedback for this person is like, don't give up. Like now you got this knowledge. Don't mean it's like a sunset to your right. to your uh, to the work that you're about to do. There's another way, and this is part of the resilience and also getting innovative. Like, okay, so they need this. Okay, I'm going to try another app and be like, what about these teachers who are ready to go? Can you identify a few teachers? I am willing to provide my resources here um, in this way. Um, and if they can, they might tell you no, you know? Sure. Cool. So now you could, you know, one, just a part of it is like just not giving up in that situation. Like give it multiple at-bats to see because you're still diagnosing what they need. Essentially, they're still diagnosing what they need because they don't know what they need. <laughs> so like, that's like the learning experience. So like they're both diagnosing, um, like mutually diagnosing a situation and you might just have a little bit more lived experience from Asian American diaspora, but they have the contextual experience. So you're like aligning. Mm. Um, lastly, I would say is you, you come prepared, right? Like if they're going to ask you like, what is your curriculum and what is your talk and what, what it could look like for a, you know, they give the options like, Oh, maybe we were ready for a class. What would that curriculum look like for a class structure? Be ready to talk about that. Or if it's ready to weave into curricula, not be ready, not just as talked about ELA or humanities lessons, social studies. What if it's a science, they science needs it too. Um, mm. STEM, all STEM fields need it, right? So how do you talk and weave in that and have uh, pre-prepare for that conversation, right? Uh, that's something I was always almost scared about because I'm a humanities teacher. I was a humanities teacher. And I'm like, do I have what it takes to tell people how to weave in AAPI narratives in STEM? Do I have, but mm. beyond, beyond the like, include, you know, Tony De La Rosa, you know, Filipino as a name or a picture in your graphic organizer not nah, right that's service level stuff you know <laughs> um so be prepared to go deep um if they want you to go deep and i think those are the two things right now i think um and then last i guess the last piece is like there's always work to be done somewhere else so just don't sure. give up like there's always work to be done so you might I, I, I might have wanted to do it in madison or verona but maybe they're not ready for it right now and i went through my diagnosis with them and they're like still like we're not ready there's so many different places. And I think that abundance mindset is super essential to keep us going. So I'll that leave it at that. Absolutely. That abundance, that's a great way to end that because I think, you know, we get into this mindset of scarcity and like, we have to do it here and it's only here. And that's here the only now. way we'll know. Su- well, that's the only way we'll know success is if we do it here in this tiny bubble. And you know, there, it's just like, if we take one step out, we can see, oh, there's so much more that I can, I can have an impact in. So I appreciate you sharing that as well. Who right now are you learning from in the community? I know there's tons of people, so it's like impossible to name any just one, but anybody right now that you're really vibing with, anybody that you feel like you're learning a lot from at the moment? Yeah. Do they have to be API identified? They do not. Um, I would like them to be, but in this case scenario, I think one person that's sticking out, I've read their article, Ethnic Study Scholar, Dr. Nolan Cabrera. Um, I don't know where... He's a professor at right now. I don't know, but I read an article and I want to meet them um, on ethics studies as a structure where he outlines in that article. It's more like a brief, but essentially okay. like, I had thought ethnic studies was X, like one fixed thing, like a curricula, but it is criticality. It's like a bunch of values and structures and um, systems and way of pedagogy and teaching. So the fact that he, um, just basically stretched it out and talked about each point. Yeah, it's like criticality, plurality, intersectionality, <laughs> right? And it's, it's a pedagogy. It's, but also, like, he brings into, like, 
concrete um, concrete um, explanations as to how to implement that, right? How to actually put that into practice, which I love. Because again, a failure of like what we're, I guess I would say theorists, policymakers is that when it comes to practice, that's when we really know the testament of the impact, right? If right. it's actually going to be substantive or not. So I think Nolan Cabrera is doing great work of connecting policy ideas and theories into practice. Amazing. Well, I will have Nolan Cabrera's work or however, whatever I can link in the show notes, uh, dear listener, you will be able to find that there. Thank you for sharing that as well. Um, we're coming up on our time here and I want to be mindful of that. Um, two quick questions. You said that you do celebrate the month. I know people have a lot of different feelings about Heritage Month specifically. Uh, anything specific that you're looking forward to in the month of May? Yo, so I have to say, like, I'm excited to I'm excited to go and check out this TAF thing because I got the TAF awards. I'm like, yes, congratulations. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, what does this mean? You know, and I have. <laughs> yeah. What does this really mean? Honestly, because, you know, we do this work. You know, I'm doing community work all the time and all of us are doing community work. So any any one of us could have gotten this award. So I'm wondering, like, what does this mean? What is what can I do to you know distrib- make sure this is a distributive effort? Because in my mind, I thought it was going to be multiple people because I saw the episodes. So sure. I'm going to talk with them and see the process. Go to New York, do the thing, meet the TAF folks, and again with that lens, like just come as a learner, see what they're doing. Um, there are people when I posted things about it had said like, uh, you know, like. TAF is new, you know, like, I don't know what they're doing about. I'm like, well, then let's learn from them. Let's see what's what's happening and have an open mind about it and figure this out. But I'm excited to go. Um, I'm taking my cousin with me. He is the godfather of my son. So we rarely have time to have like Brown Boy Joy, you know, Brown Asian Boy Joy. So we're going to do that together. He's a DJ. So we're going to have some drinks. We're going to have some food, Asian food. And I get to take him um, like we were just hanging out when we were younger to hang out and like enjoy New York together. So that's a really like, you know, to end on family, like that is something that I'm really excited <laughs> for. That's amazing. Yes. Congratulations again. Uh, incredible. TAF has been doing some incredible things. So I think yeah. they are somebody that we need to look out to and, and learn from as well to see what they're doing in the community. They are bringing people together. And I think when they're able to highlight voices like your own, voices like myself or Rohan's voice, Alice's voice, you know, that's amazing. It's a, it's incredible opportunity. And I love that you are the winner. I was like, Tony's about to win this because literally every person I see posting about it is for Tony. And I'm, I'm here for it. I'm absolutely I, here for it. I appreciate it. you, brother. How do we best support you moving forward? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm, in, I'm trying to be more direct with it. Um, please follow the work. You know, I'm on only on Twitter and Instagram. I try not to take too much of like TikTok. <laughs> I told that with the kids yesterday. Follow me at, at Tony Rosa Speaks at gmail.com. Um, and um, my book is coming out. If you can, if you have the means to purchase the book, um, Teaching the Invisible Race, Embodying a Pro Asian American Lens in Schools, everything that I'm going to be talking about from now until next year is going to be centered around that because it is a community book. It has so many different voices in it, um, I guess, oral narratives within it, and just frameworks, mindsets, manifestos in it to help <laughs> poetry. To, kind of like a hollow hollow, if you know that uh, dessert, it's kind of like a hollow hollow pedagogical book um, to really not wait for policy, right? We can really mm-hmm. start teaching Asian American studies now in K-12, um, so the book will help you do that. Amazing. When's the book come out? October, Philippine American History Month, uh, 2024, uh, 2023, this year. All right, October of this year. Uh, are the pre-orders available yet? 
you know what? I'm about to, the pre-order is available, but I guess this is the first time I'm telling people on the oh! show. It's, it's, it's live now. So I guess, I guess everyone's going to know, um, the pre-order is there. It's, um, you know, it's on all places where books can be found <laughs> right now. So mostly Amazing. It's, it's from like Amazon and Barnes and Nobles. I'm really trying to partner with places like you and me books and mm. other locations where we can actually get the funding to the communities that are Asian American owned. But for now, if you want it and you just want to like get with Tony, I was just, I just had time today. You can get it on Amazon and get it on Barnes and Nobles. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tony. Again, really, really appreciate your time. It's an honor and a privilege for me to be able to sit here and have this conversation. And thank you for sharing for, with all of our listeners. Seriously, it, it means so much for you to be a part of the APAM conversations, this series specifically. Well, salamat for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, for everybody else, you can find all the links to everything that we talked about, Tony and I talked about in this conversation here in the show notes. And you can find us at Conversation Pod Peace on Instagram. If you do feel inclined, you can leave us a rating or a review, and that would be greatly appreciated on whatever podcast player that you are listening to this on right now. And if you are interested in supporting the show in the future, feel free to hop in my DMs or visit my website, patrickintheworld.me. Until next time, I am Patrick Armstrong, and this has been Conversation Peace. Thanks, Tony. Thank you.